the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Just uh, altering our hour a little bit. Head into the third hour. We do so with our dear friend, Brandon J. Weikert. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Altering the hour. We usually have him on Mondays, but usually in the second. Um, he... Uh, He's celebrating, can I tell everyone, Brandon? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he's celebrating his anniversary. So we're accommodating him a little differently, and he's accommodating us a little differently today. So, Brandon, happy anniversary to you and the missus. Thank you so much. You're eight for us. Normally, I'm not a fan of accommodation, but in this case, I really appreciate well, it. We'll talk about appeasement <laughs> here in a moment. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a moment. In fact... Um, among many of uh, Brandon's uh, positions uh, as an author of several books, he's also the publisher of the Weikert Report and a columnist for the Washington Times, American Greatness, and the Asian Times. His most recent piece in the Asian Times, it'll get us into this accommodation appeasement talk a little bit. Uh, Elon Musk fears nuclear war, not Ukraine. Um, it's uh, your current piece in the Asia Times. There's a lot in this uh, and a lot to it. Walk us through it a little bit. Yeah, so basically, Elon Musk, um, was uh, got into a little bit of hot water because he said that, you know, he wants to see a peace deal for Ukraine. And uh, basically, uh, he got in a lot of trouble on social media. He took a poll in which he said, do you want to see eastern Ukraine ceded over to the Russians, which is the Russian-speaking part that Russia's held on to for a long time anyway, or do you want to... Um, continue to fight and risk what he thinks is a nuclear war with Russia over this sliver of territory. Uh, and from there, the, the Ukrainian Twitterverse sort of erupted, understandably, in anger uh, and started attacking him, which prompted the Ukrainian ambassador in a rather undiplomatic move to tweet F off to Elon Musk. And within 24 hours later, Musk announced, that he was going to discontinue free Starlink satellite service for the Ukrainian military. And for those who are unaware, um, the military of Ukraine since February, since the beginning of the Russian invasion, has relied almost exclusively on um, the, the, Ukra- uh, the, the uh, Starlink service to uh, do battlefield communication, coordination, uh, there's now even reports suggesting that Starlink can be used for GPS navigation and sure. that it's being fashioned that way for sure. military purposes. Sure. Um, and this was such a big deal, in fact, that the Chinese and Russians announced that they were going to target these systems that Musk has created. So Musk really created, uh, a, he put a big target on his back to help them out. And then, of course, Ukrainians went nuts over his poll on Twitter recently and so now they're telling him to go F off. And so he's doing just that. And that prompted quite a serious rebuke from within the pow- powers that be in the, in the West, 
to the point that 24 hours after he said that he was going to require U.S. government to either pay him for giving that service to Ukraine or he was done providing it, which would basically weaken the Ukrainian war effort at this critical juncture, at that moment, 24 hours later, must reverse course and said, never mind, I'm not going to pull back. Something obviously happened. Uh, people were saying when he was doing this poll about should Russia be given the eastern part of Ukraine, many people were saying, oh, he's been compromised somehow by <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Well, it seems, if anything, he's <laughs> compromised by the U.S. government. Right. <laughs> right. If he were compromised by Putin, he wouldn't have done it in the first place, probably. By the way, is this a system, a communication system that would um, – if 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 deployed or potentially deployed it could overcome media blackouts in other places like is it something that could like be like in iran could like in yeah iran. i was thinking the protesters in iran that's exactly where i and, was going and again so you know here we have where Musk. okay he said something politically unpopular it's something i think that many americans outside of the beltway probably agree with we'd rather just see that sliver of ukraine seated rather than risk nuclear war with the crazed Russian bear. Um, and while that may be unpopular, his service is so dynamic with Starlink that he could really help us across the board in foreign policy, yeah. especially with Iran, where yeah. you have these protesters doing their level best to rise up against this horrific regime. They need free communication services of the kind that Starlink provides. And, you know, Musk is the only guy that can do this yeah. right now affordably. Yeah. And so making him an enemy and a pariah is really, really idiotic on our part because he may say something unpopular, but his, his techniques and his tech and his services and his technology are so important. We can't survive without it. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we have to outsource the uh, military technology to a private person. We can't do it ourselves. I mean, that's its own. That's that's its own form of corruption. Uh, yeah, that's its own form of corruption. But let me ask you about that word accommodation, um, because if we're thinking about seeding, or we're thinking about the idea of seeding parts of eastern Ukraine to Russia in order to uh, to quell uh, Putin's appetite. A does it does does that does that sate sate Putin, and B is it not a in some respects dangerous message that you take you invade, uh, we will thwart and then we will concede some land and then we'll all be peaceful. Is is there yeah. not something um, something redolent of Munich to that? Yeah, there there certainly is. But the problem right now for us is. We are running low on the kind of armaments that Ukraine requires. Yeah. So whereas someone like Musk is probably floating this idea of a kind of a ceasefire and seeding of territory as a permanent solution, the way I look at it is from a point of practicality. We need time to re-equip and rearm the Ukrainian military and also to replenish our dwindling stores because guess what? The very same limited systems that Ukraine is relying on to beat back the Russians are the same systems Taiwan presently needs to potentially stop a Chinese invasion, which, wouldn't you know, suddenly the Pentagon's listening to me. They're not crediting me, of course, and they're saying now after this recent Chinese Communist Party Congress, where Xi got his third unprecedented term, he's now the new Mao, yeah. they're saying at the end of the year that the Chinese could invade Taiwan. Right. So when I say we need to kind of do a ceasefire, 
I'm looking at it more like what happened in 2014 where we froze the conflict in place to allow time for the Ukrainians to re-equip and rearm and retrain and get ready for what I suspect would be, however many years down the line, a final round of fighting. But right now, we don't, we're, we're running low, yeah. and we're going to need these systems for other you know, missions, and we're going to have to start making choices on when we put a, put a stop on this thing. Because once we're out of weapons, these systems, that's it. And that's then it. the Russians could potentially have free reign. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. Brandon, um, this, we're going to go into a commercial in a moment, but I can, so we can get a few words in and maybe pick it up on the other side. Um, someone was from Russia telling me the other day, no, no expert uh, on, on, on just culturally from Russia, saying, you know, this talk about Putin unleashing a nuclear a tactical nuclear weapon, it's in some respects, it's not his decision. In some respects, right. it's these things are just out of his control. There's a series of steps that take place. If X, then Y, if Y, then Z. Does that make any sense to you a little bit? Yeah. So I was in Washington, D.C. on Monday, and I had pushback when I was talking about this with a, with a general in the Air Force. And he made the same point that your your friend just did. Let, let me do and this. Let me I, take the break. It's a, it's yeah. a great setup for the break and coming back on that sure. so you can have your full-throated answer uh, without interruption. I'm Seth. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll take a quick commercial break and be right back on this question. As we go to break, I'll put in a word for our sponsors at Y-Refi. If you're worried about stock market volatility, they have an investment for you that has no correlation to the stock market. And it's a great, unique investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio with a strong rate of return, up to 10.25% return for investors. And the investment can be in an IRA, it can be in a trust, it can be a joint investment or an individual investment. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's made up of really great guys who do really good by doing good for others. And you can be a part of that too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y. REFY.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Never a sales pitch. You'll just be treated really well by these guys who love talking about what it is that they do and letting it speak for itself. Brandon J. Weikert and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and several other books in the pipeline as well on Iran and China. He's a columnist with all the important outlets, talking about his piece in the Asia Times currently. Brandon, so yeah, that, to reset, uh, this notion that maybe it's not all within Putin's decision as to whether tactical right. nuclear weapons are used, perhaps a series of steps of behemoth, a leviathan takeover of the processes that go towards that. If X, then Y, then Z. You were in Washington recently talking with the Air, right. uh, the Air Force. Right. Yeah. yeah, so I was talking to a group of about 50 or 60 Air Force generals. One of them started giving me pushback when I was talking about the danger we face in terms of nuclear warfare with Russia over this issue of Ukraine. And he made the same point that your colleague was making, which is basically, hey, look, it's just like our system, maybe not as comprehensively safe, but ultimately, ultimately, you know, they, the Putin just can't initiate a nuclear strike. He's got to go through a series of 
of steps. He's got to go through basically the Russian general staff to kind of give final approval. But as I told the general, I don't really feel like relying on the good graces of the Russian general staff to stop a nuclear yeah, war. Right. We should be a seeking an off-ramp that prevents us from being in the situation where suddenly now we're on the hook for relying exclusively on the, the Russian general staff to do the right thing because their metrics for, quote, doing the right thing are very different. Look at how they have conducted themselves in this conflict, raping on mosques women and children, annihilating entire cities, purposely destroying civilian infrastructure rather than directly attacking military ones in order to sow chaos and terror among the Ukrainian population. This is not a group of people I entrust to do the, quote, right thing. Yeah, yeah, a very good point. Um, and, and so, I mean, it makes, in some respects, a lot of this more inevitable than not, right? Right, right. And so that's why I think this is where I think Elon Musk is, Probably right. We need to be looking for an off ramp. Um, but I probably dis- he would probably disagree with me when I say that that off ramp is not a permanent one. It's merely a stopgap to buy us time so that we can reinvigorate the ailing Ukrainian defenses. And this is something that I think many people in Washington disagree with me on. But I'm just a practical person. I live in Realville as Rush Limbaugh used to say. And in Realville, there are limits to technology and capabilities predicated on what the uh, military-industrial complex can provide, and we just haven't invested enough over the last 20 years of constant warfare of having an easily replenishable defense arms base, that the kind of the kind that's needed to wage this particular kind of war, not when there's a strain being put on those sources by other powers that in some cases, like China, are an even graver strategic threat to us than the Russians. Brandon, you know, it's 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 the year has gone by fast in some fat quickly in in some respects. And you think you had mentioned, you know, since the war broke out in February, and you think, oh my gosh, that was that was some time ago. Joe Biden, um, when he started talking about imposing sanctions uh, back in February and then again in March. He said it'll take some time for them to work out. Well, he was all over the map on when it would work out. But is right. there not some point um, being re- reaffirmed here and reified that, you know, sanctions don't usually work? They aren't really working, are they? I mean, nothing nothing, no. nothing well, the san- about the sanctions has, has pacified the situation, has it? I would say that, that they were effective insofar as the Russian state, but they were not so effective that they defeated the Russians. And in fact, they allowed the Russians to adapt uh, to a, a situation where they were able to carry on the war. The point of the sanctions was to prevent the carrying on of the war, and the Russians have been able to eke by. Now, over time, I think over the next eight months, you and I have spoken about this in the past, I think those sanctions will start to have a bite. But in the meanwhile, Putin's got some still maneuvering room, and he's using it. And he's not going to just give up the goat. He wants this. This is his whole regime on the line. So he's willing to go right up and maybe beyond the threshold of nuclear war to try to win this thing. So the sanctions in that way have not been as effective as we had hoped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's the reason I'm such a such so so fixated on on this issue of sanctions 
is uh, I think they set high expectations. I think Joe Biden set high expectations. I think they generally set high expectations. And you, you correct me along the way here, Brandon, or anything I say that's wrong. I, I, I just I just think generally when people say act or sound like they're doing the tough right thing with sanctions, particularly with respect to Iran, it's 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 the expectations should not be high. They just shouldn't. And I get that every country's different, too. I mean, the right. leadership of Iran may care differently about its people than the leadership of another country. Um, sanctions can work right. in South Africa because, A, they're an ally in the first place and they have right. a different view of human life generally with a Western ethos than would a place like Iran or perhaps Russia. Correct. And there are limits. We've sanctioned countries like Russia and Iran for so long in North Korea and even Venezuela, that they just learn to live under those harsher environments and they find workarounds. Maybe they're not as rich as they could be had they not been sanctioned. But at the end of the day, the whole point is regime survival in these countries, not the survival of the people. And perversely, the regimes of these countries, and Saddam Hussein was very good about this, uh, the, the regimes of these rogue states or of countries like Russia are able to pass on the hardship from their own regime to their people, and that perversely encourages resentment from their people, not toward the regime very yeah, often, right. but toward those imposing sanctions. Right. So you're right. Generally speaking, there are limitations to sanctions. We do tend to over-rely on them, yeah. and we don't take into account unintended consequences. And just remember, for your audience's sake, what led to Pearl Harbor in many respects were sanctions that we imposed upon the empire mm -hmm. of Japan mm -hmm. for human rights violations in China. Yeah, that's a good point. forget about that yeah. aspect. Yeah, sometimes rather than pacify a situation, they can actually exacerbate it. Uh, yeah, let me right. let me take a quick commercial break. We'll come back. Speaking of China, having you having taken us there, let's talk a little bit about Taiwan. You had a great tweet Absolutely. about him uh, earlier today or yesterday. I don't remember. Let's talk about that when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson. Right. He's Brandon Weicker. You can follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. It's a great Twitter feed and fun, too. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, and several other books, one on China in the pipeline, as well as on Iran. Talking about China, Brandon, uh, I think it was earlier today or, or last night, you were tweeting about uh, Taiwan a little bit. Uh, they need to focus on building defenses against an invasion that focus on the yeah. same methods. Go ahead. Tell us about that thought. Yeah, so, so basically, um, Taiwan is doing everything wrong when it comes to preparing for a defense against the kind of invasion that China will subject it to. Um, they are insistent upon buying these expensive Western military legacy systems, F-15 fighters, uh, big tanks for you know tank battles. These are not the um, these are not the way of war today, particularly for an insurgent force of the kind that Taiwan will have to become to roll back a Chinese invasion. China, I mean Taiwan, needs to be looking more to what Ukraine did uh, in preparing for since 2014 till 2022 in preparing their own defenses for what they knew was an inevitable Russian invasion, using very similar tactics to what 
the Chinese are going to use, obviously slightly different since Taiwan is an island, but it's the same kind of, of weapon systems, the same kind of tactics that China's going to use, that Russia used on Ukraine. And yet the Taiwanese, rather than learning from the Ukrainian experience, continue to insist upon preparing for a war that they will not be asked to fight. They need to prepare for the war of insurgency. They need to prepare for what happens once Chinese forces manage to get on the island. How do they make Chinese invaders bleed the way the Ukrainians have managed to make Russian invaders bleed to the point that the invader cannot continue on without such a considerable loss of life that continuing the war is politically untenable? Yeah, uh, and 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 I guess the way China is looking at Taiwan, it's really right now a matter of whatever timing China believes in. Uh, you tell me again if I'm wrong. <clears throat> the way they're working through other countries, maybe in in and outside the region, Belt and Road and all that, it's it's far less kinetic. But as to Taiwan, I don't know that 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 the Belt and Road Initiative means much there. I mean, they can just they could go in when they want, if they want, right? Right. It's really to, a, to an and, extent. And, to an extent. To an extent, and actually, in many respects, the longer they delay, the more fortuitous it is for China because the Chinese need to enhance their amphibious warfare capability. So that's the ability to land large numbers of troop and equipment on an island or a target across the sea. Um, think of the D-Day invasion. We, yeah, you know, we had right. them on Higgins boats and they went in. So, so now China has a hidden amphibious capacity right now that very few are talking about, and that is their gray hall capability, their ability to uh, requisition civilian cargo ships and to convert them quickly into military amphibious landers. And they have practiced doing this. They have conducted various war game exercises doing this for over a decade. And so, and they really wanted to catch the Taiwanese with their pants down. They're going to do this in the next year or two uh, because the Taiwanese, as I said, are dithering in preparing for the kinds of warfare that they're going to be required to fight. Why, why, why won't they just get off the stick? What, what is their dithering about? Is it just, is it part of the culture? Is it wishful thinking? Is it, uh, so, I mean, it's not as if you look at what's going on in China, whether it was last Sunday's communist conference or what have you. It's not as yeah. if it looks like, uh, Xi Jinping is, 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 is himself becoming more pacific. No, if anything, Xi Jinping with that whole show with former president Powell had him forcibly removed. Yeah, that was frightening, actually. And it was. It was reminiscent of Saddam Hussein who yep. took power in 1979. Right. Um, and that was purposeful. Uh, Xi Jinping is doing this because he's indicating that he is building a war cabinet. And what's the war? In, the, in a very narrow sense, the war on Taiwan. In the larger sense, it's a war on the West, on the United States. Yep. And so the reason I think Taiwan is kind of dithering is partly because I think They've been under this sort of slow-rolling siege for so long, they're numb. It's yeah. like frogs in boiling yeah. water. Yeah. They're numb to it. Yeah. And so they just figure, ah, it's, it's just G being G, but that's when the Chinese are going to get you. Yeah. Because they're doing these increased operations along Taiwanese airspace. They're practicing these invasions, forcing Taiwan's military to respond tear on the aircraft and the vehicles 
all as part of this numbing attempt. Yeah. Attempt to inure or inoculate into thinking the Chinese really aren't coming. It's all just for show when, in fact, the big one's right around the corner. Yep. And they want the Taiwanese to be completely unprepared, which at present they are. Which at present they are. I guess there's also something about wishful thinking and one 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 that doesn't too. want to imagine the worst case scenario is being potential or possible but when it comes to china it seems to me when it comes to any dictator it seems to me the danger is never in the overestimation it's the underestimation you can correct me on that on the other right. side of the break if you want I'd love to get your thoughts on on how we're looking politically domestically if i could keep you one more quick segment yeah I would be great. I'm Seth Leibson. He is Brandon Weikert, and uh, we'll get his uh, views of the domestic political scene and election two weeks away when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As inflation rises and your dollars are stretched thinner, more people are considering a reverse mortgage. I'm here to showcase Bingo Reverse Mortgage, our newest sponsor, and share how their trusted team can take some of the guesswork out of it and the benefits for you. Bottom line, a reverse mortgage allows you to convert equity in your home into cash or to purchase a home. To qualify, you must be a homeowner at least 55 years old and have sufficient equity in your home. A reverse mortgage can be your ace in the hole when it comes to actually retiring instead of dreaming of retirement. Fact is, most Americans won't be able to retire, but Bingo Reverse Mortgage is saving the American retirement. Get the safety net you deserve. Call the incredible Bingo team at 928-277-4476. That's 928-277-4476. Or visit Bingo, reversemortgage.com. Tell them I sent you and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing, a $1,000 value. Bingo, reversemortgage.com. Brandon Weikert is our guest. And uh, aside from his uh, prowess on the international scene, uh, he has that with uh, our domestic political uh, scene as well. Uh, Brandon, uh, two weeks out, any surprises, any eyebrows being raised uh, from the way you see things? You're looking at a red wave. You're looking at some close calls. How's it looking to you two weeks out? I think that when the Washington Post is talking about uh, losing the possible uh, midterm uh, by a hair, it's really by a lot. And I think that's a stunning uh, admission. I think this is going to be uh, the biggest red wave probably since 2010. Um, I think we're going to win the House. I think we're going to win the Senate. Um, I think we got this thing. If the Republicans don't snatch defeat from the things of victory, yeah. um, I think that we will have it. The issue is going to be it's not just enough to win elections. We've got to convert that electoral win into real legislative and policy changes. And this has always been the failure of the GOP. We win elections and we don't convert. It's insane. So it's one thing to win an election, and I think we're going to do it, hands down. But we've got to deliver the goods now, and that's the big question. Although I do think with some of these elected people, that we're probably, these people are going to get elected for the Republicans, I think we have a darn good chance of seeing some real change of the kind that you and I have been wanting to see for many years. Yeah, I was talking about that with someone the other day. Who was it? Uh, might have been on Bill Bennett's podcast, but we were talking about this crop of potential new leaders here being exceedingly, exceedingly good. 
and uh, I mean the well, I got gumption. Yeah, gumption, gumption, smarts, yeah. Uh, and resolve. Yeah, resolve is the word I want. Uh, Jim Jordan running running a committee is not going to be keeping time. Uh, Carrie Lake as governor is not going to be you know marching uh, to the time uh, of the clock. Right. These these people are not there to be just competent. They're they're there to roll up their sleeves and and be right. um, a million little Ron DeSantis's, aren't they? That's right, and that's what we need. Um, and, you know, whether we're talking to Kerry Lake in the gubernatorial race of Arizona or even someone like J.D. Vance, who I was a little bit skeptical of, uh, but lately he's really, I think, come around. Oh, he's been he's, great. On those debates, it's it's a good show. Yeah, that's really what turned Yeah, me. he's really, he's really showing up well, yeah. He really is. And more than that, it shows that he can think on his feet. It shows that he's able to sort of, you know, really come through when you need him. Um, and and so serious, too, like, right? Serious. Don't serious. you just get yes. a notion that I, he, too, is not there just for fun? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so my point is, is that whether you're talking him, whether you're talking Congress, whether you're talking, uh, you know, governorships, we've got a really good state of candidates who not only are ideologically on the right side, but they actually are doers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're practitioners. They're not just theorists. And they're not just going there to get a paycheck and then to get a nice job at Raytheon's board. They are they are there to get a job done, and they're going to fight for it. There are a million little fighters, which is going to be turned into one big organized force. And Washington better watch out because they don't know what's coming for them. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I, I guess I would speculate um, that if it's a small victory, if it is, I know that's not your prediction, but if it is, we take the Senate maybe by one or two seats, take the House, of course. It, it seems to me it's 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 the American people saying, well, we can't stand this at this anymore. We've had about as much fun as we can take with this Biden Democratic Party. Let's see what you Republicans got. And if it's a bigger sweep than that, more along the lines you're imagining, Brandon, I think they're saying something different. I think they're saying we want to drive a nail in the in the in the in the heart. We want to put a, a stake in the chest of the Dracula that leftism has shown itself to be. Yes. And and I think that Kurt Schilling said on a podcast recently, I think he put it best when he said that looking at the last two and a half years, I don't know how any sane American voter can say the Democrats should ever have power for the rest of our lifetimes because everything has categorically that quantifiably that can be tracked gotten worse since the Democrats took over in 2020. And you set aside the claims about the election of 2020. Forget that for a second. Just look at the results of, of, of that election in terms of who we elected and who's running the country since that election. It's a disaster. Nothing has gone well in this country. Not a thing. And so, um, you know, I think that it is a, it is, I think what's coming is a clear referendum. The president says it's not a referendum on my policies. Yeah, right, Mr. President. This is going to be the end of your presidency. This is it if what I'm saying is true. And I think it is correct. I think we're in for a huge red sweep. You look at how in the tank the media is, Brandon, right now. I mean, they have been for a while, but it's it's at a level I've never seen before. You think about that uh, NBC reporter with John Fetterman and how she got in yeah. trouble in her profession and with John Fetterman's wife for actually showing that the media had been covering for him. I kind of get the sense that's also uh, the issue with Joe Biden when you see how he kind of fell asleep in the middle of a question on MSNBC <laughs> and he was just talking yesterday, I 
guess, about how the House and Senate voted to uh, to support his student loan forgiveness program. Right. You, you, you almost get the sense with the media so covering for Democrats and these polls showing, as you say in the Washington Post, a slight Republican advantage as of where we're sitting right now. You almost got to think it's got to be much bigger than that. This is with the oh, media covering for the Democrats. They're covering, and it's not going to work because people are so galvanized right now. The number one issue out of ten listed issues, number one consistently for the last six to eight weeks, has been the economy. Yeah. Number two, I think, was um, uh, inflation or, or something like it's that. It's inflation or, or crime. Economy, right. inflation, yeah, crime, and crime. crime. Yeah, and it, it varies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The economy, crime. And then a distant third was abortion. Right. I mean, a very distant third. Right. So the Democrats, they try to change the subject to abortion. They can talk about abortion all they want. The bottom line is the majority of Americans are going to the pump every week, and they're seeing it's not getting below $3.63. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's still what it was six weeks ago, and that's with Joe Biden flooding the market with our strategic reserve, which is not enough. And so the American people know intuitively there's something wrong. And the only way they're going to be able to fix it is if they vote the current party out and put a new one in. But now the onus is going to be on the Republicans. They can't just win elections and hold on and play small ball. They've got to change things truly so that it sets us up for 2024 so we have a bold color differential rather than those little pastels that reagan didn't want we have to have that well brandon you earned your anniversary and celebratory dinner thank you sir and again really thank you for all you do with us but also again congratulations on uh and uh and uh on your anniversary we we wish you and mrs brandon All the best until next week. (laughs) Thank you, sir. You betcha. Have fun. We'll talk soon. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, and thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, Closing thought or two, um, I I was just reading um, Max Boot's latest in the Washington Post. He, um, you know, I don't even know if the left listens to what they say when they write. And if they do and they believe it, believe them. He says, um, if the current trends hold up, Republicans are likely to take over at least the House and quite possibly the Senate, along with many state offices. This is how democracies die, both at home and abroad. This is how democracies die. This is how democracies die, by people voting for who they prefer, by people voting against policies that they don't like. By people taking a look around and thinking that, you know, irrespective of whether it's a Republican or Democrat that's in party that's in charge in Washington, if the, if if they're failing the country, it doesn't matter. Who's the rigid um, who's the rigid movement here now? The rigid movement is the movement that says you have to vote for Democrats, large D. You have to vote for the Democratic Party, irrespective of a your own personal or political beliefs and be the conditions of the country, which is going in the wrong direction by massive amounts in every single poll. Who's the one party state now? And what is a one party state? Might you dare I? Max Boot has used the word many a time describing us. Might I call it fascism? 
Is it too much to call it fascist when they say that democracy dies when Republicans have the right to vote and do vote their own views or independents vote for the Republican Party? Boy, they are just showing their colors. Yes, part of it is desperation, but part of it is they haven't been called out enough either. So they think they can just keep going and going and going. Well, a week from uh, a week from tomorrow, two weeks from tomorrow, we will stop that rabbit in its tracks. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.